Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning will be on Luke chapter 16. I'll be reading verses 1 through 15, if you would please stand. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He said to another, and and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends by, I'm sorry, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. I pray, God, that you would give us understanding, that you give us hearts that would be ready and willing to obey uh, what Scripture teaches in this uh, text. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's text is one of the most uh, difficult parables of Jesus to interpret. Uh, Specifically, it's difficult to tell what the application or the lesson is that Jesus is trying to teach us uh, from this story of this clever crook, Uh, but we will do the best that we can with it. Uh, Luke 16, beginning in verse 1, you see, uh, first, the manager's lack of character says, Jesus said to his disciples, and notice there uh, that he's talking directly to his disciples. We'll talk about that in the end, Uh, come back to that point, but just make a mental note of that that all of this teaching that follows is directed to the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him uh, that this man was wasting 
his possessions. So the manager would be the one who handled all of his assets, uh, his property, his dealings. <clears throat> and the manager apparently had a serious lack of character. Uh, you notice there it says he was wasting his possessions. He was just not doing a good job. He was lazy, uh, doing just a terrible job. And so you see in verse 1, not only his lack of character, but now he has a lack of a job. Uh, toward the end there in verse 2, it says, He called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So uh, basically, the manager is doing a terrible job managing the rich man's assets. So the rich man hears this report. Uh, finds out that this man is just not doing his job well and says, you're out of here. Okay, but notice at the end there, uh, turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. So he's fired, he's out, uh, but he asks for a final report. Uh, give me, you know, I, I want to know where my assets are at. I want an inventory of everything that I have. Uh, give me a final, a final audit of all of my, uh, all of my investments. I, I want a final report before you leave. So he's got a lack of character that leads to his lack of a job, and now the manager has a lack of options. Verse 3, manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Now, if you've ever lost a job before, whether you were laid off or fired or whatever, it's a terrible feeling. Right? You get that instant just sinking feeling in your stomach, and immediately you start wondering, what am I going to do? Right? How, how You start laying out your options and thinking, uh, maybe I could go work for this guy. Oh, I had a friend that said he could hook me up. And you start trying to think through, what are my options now? And that's what this manager is doing. He's thinking about his future and what options he might have. Notice he says, first of all, I'm not strong enough to dig. So he's not a young man anymore. He can't go do manual labor. Uh, secondly, he says, I'm ashamed to beg. Obviously, uh, white-collar jobs, the higher-end management jobs, wouldn't be offered to this guy because he just got fired for being a terrible manager. So those, those are not an option. Manual labor is not really an option. And the only thing left is to be a beggar. And he says, obviously, I don't want to do that. But then this guy gets an idea. And it's a very clever plan. Notice in verse 4, the manager's deception. Manager is talking to himself here, and he says, I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Okay, so he's no longer worried about trying to hold on to his job. He knows he's getting fired. Now he starts thinking, okay, what am I going to do after I lose my job? I need to make a few friends. So he comes up with this plan. Uh, he's going to use his current position as manager in whatever time he has left in order to set himself up for the future. He's going to be fired, but again, the, man, uh, the rich guy said to him, uh, turn in this final account. So apparently he's got a few hours left, and he's going to use that window of opportunity while he still has his management title and, and authority in order to make a few friends, friends who will owe him some favors. Verse 5, he summons his master's debtors one by one, and he says to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. You see what he's doing here. Uh, he is ripping off his rich boss. He's calling in the people that owe the rich boss some money or, or some property or whatever. And he says to them, hey, how would you like it if I cut your bill in half? And they're thinking, boy, this guy's great. What a nice fellow. And what he's doing is making some friends so that when he gets fired at the end of the day, uh, hopefully he'll have a few favors coming in from people. It's a very clever plot. He's cutting deals 
and ripping off his boss in order to make some friends so that when he's out, he'll have some people that owe him favors. Now, this guy's a crook. What he's doing is dishonest, but it's clever. He's securing favors from some rich people so that they'll hopefully take care of him when he loses his job. Notice verse 8, the rich man's reaction. Uh, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, the rich guy looks at what this manager has done and he says, that's pretty clever. Uh, notice what isn't commended. He does not praise this guy for his dishonesty. Okay, He praises him for his shrewdness, his ingenuity, his foresight. It was a clever, albeit deceitful, plan that he had come up with. And so the rich man basically says, I got to hand it to you. That was a pretty crafty plan. I told you a story a while back about, uh, I think, a family in London that uh, their car was stolen. I don't know if you remember the story. That they, somebody stole their car. They, it was in their driveway and it was gone the next day. And, uh, and so they waited a little while and the car reappeared. It was un unhurt, no scratch on it at all. It was returned right to their house. And there was a little note there that said, I'm so sorry about stealing your car. I feel really bad about it. Uh, here are some tickets to the theater uh, to make amends for what I've done. And so they thought, oh, well, that's nice. And so they go to the theater, and while they were at the theater, the guy robbed their house. And, uh, and you think about that, it's a clever plan because he knows exactly how long they're going to be out of the house. He has this perfect opportunity to go and steal. And so that's, that's sort of a similar parallel to what's going on here. Uh, what the crook did was wrong, but you got to hand it to him. It was a clever plan. And that's basically what the manager says here. He commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, notice the application. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Sons of light would be those in the kingdom, those who are followers of Christ. And he says, Christians can learn something from this dishonest manager. He was clever. Uh, he was thinking about the future. He came up with this strategic plan in order to set himself up well in the future. And Jesus says we as his followers ought to have that kind of foresight. Uh, we ought to plan wisely for our future. Again, uh, not saying we ought to be dishonest and rip people off. That's not the point. He's just saying we ought to have foresight. We ought to be uh, wise and thoughtful about our future. Those in the world are often more wise in how to secure earthly wealth for themselves than Christians are at securing eternal rewards. Now that seems to be the point here as the rest of the context will demonstrate. Uh, Pastor Stephen Cole says, uh, explains that Jesus is saying, we can learn a valuable lesson from this pagan scoundrel who is wiser than many sons of light, in that he saw what was coming and he used what had been entrusted to him while he could to prepare for the future. The lesson for us is a faithful steward will use his master's money shrewdly to provide true riches for eternity. Jesus is telling us that there is a way that we can use our money wisely and invest it in resources that God has given us uh, that will matter for all of eternity. We are to, to learn from this man the principle of long-term thinking, thinking about the future. How is what I'm doing today setting me up for the future? That is the, the principle that we're supposed to gain from this. Continuing on in verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Uh, we all know you can't take money with you when you die. As soon as you die, all of your wealth, all of your possessions are gone. But Jesus says you can send it ahead. There are ways of laying up treasures in heaven by how you choose to use your finances now in this life. 
We can invest money now and receive the benefits eternally. And so Jesus says, use your money to bless other people. Be generous. I think that's what, God, that, what he means there when he says, make friends by, uh, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Use your money to help others so that when it fails, uh, you'll be received into heaven. When you die, again, your money is gone. Money is a temporary tool that we only have in this life. And if we use it properly, thinking about eternity instead of just here and now, we can invest our money in such a way that we receive benefits in eternity. Just like that manager saw that he had this brief window of opportunity to secure his financial future, so we have a brief life. We have this brief window of opportunity. And what we do with the time, the resources, uh, the opportunities that God has given to us determines what our rewards and our condition will be in eternity. And so we are to use our money for kingdom purposes, to reach others with the gospel. That's what it means there, making friends that will welcome you into eternity. This is talking about the spread of the gospel, using our finances for the furtherance of God's kingdom. Verse 10 and following uh, seems to me Jesus reflecting back on the parable and making different applications. So you've got the one application that, that seems uh, pretty clear, right? That we are to, like this manager, think about our future, make wise decisions to set ourselves up for the future. Now Jesus kind of transitions and talks, again, reflecting back on the parable, but from a different angle. He begins to talk about this manager and his lack of character. Again, this guy was a lousy manager. He was not doing his job well. That's why he ended up getting fired. The manager then goes on to rip off his boss even more. And in a way, that shouldn't be surprising to us. If this guy was willing to waste the rich man's money before, of course he'd be willing to cheat him on the way out the door. His lack of character in verse 1 is seen in his laziness. He's wasting the rich man's money. And if he was lacking character in terms of his work ethic, of course he's going to be willing to cheat the man out of his money. That's just a reflection of what type of guy this was. And so verse 10, Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest, notice the same word that he used for the manager, one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Uh, the manager in the parable was dishonest in little. He was dishonest in not doing his job well. And then at the end of the parable, you see he was willing to be dishonest just straight up in this appalling way of just cheating his boss out of money. The manager collected his wages week after week from his employer, and he wasn't doing his job well. And so knowing that, it shouldn't be surprising to us that he was willing to do such a dishonest thing as he did when he found out he would be fired. He was dishonest with little things, and in the end, dishonest with much bigger things. That was just a reflection of his character. And so the point that Jesus is making here is if you're faithful with your finances, what God has blessed you with, if you're faithful with uh, little things, then you'll be faithful with other things as well. If you're selfish with the finances that God's given you, you won't live for him in other areas. In other words, what we do with our money really is a litmus test of our commitment to Christ. It's the little things where our integrity is seen most. I think that's why Jesus talked so much about money. Uh, you all know I don't like talking about money. Even when we're behind, I hate bringing it up. Uh, but Jesus had no problem. I mean, he just talked about money all the time. In fact, it was the most common subject of his parables. Almost all of them have something to do with money. And so he talks about this a lot because where our finances are used 
is a litmus test of our commitment to Christ. If we're faithful in that area, we're likely faithful in other areas. If we're dishonest in that area, we're likely dishonest in other areas. The Bible teaches us that we are managers of God's estate. God is the owner of everything, and we are simply managers or stewards of what he has entrusted to us. Peter writes, for instance, in 1 Peter 4, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We've been given gifts, and we are to manage or steward those well, faithfully using what God has given us in ways that are pleasing to him. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is the key character trait of a steward or a manager. We must be trustworthy. We must be faithful to serve God with what he's given us. And that's the exact opposite of what the manager in our text was. He was not trustworthy. That's why he was a lousy manager, and that's why he was willing to cheat his boss at the end. He was not trustworthy. He was not faithful. As servants of Christ, as managers, uh, we have a responsibility to steward what God has given us with integrity. And it starts with little things. Uh, some of us think, if I, have, if I had a million dollars, right, I'd, I'd give half of it to the church. Uh, if I were rich, I would do all of these things and give all of this money to, to the furtherance of God's kingdom. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you're faithful with what you have, if you're faithful with the little, then you'll be faithful with much. If you're not faithful with the little, you won't be faithful with much either. See, it's not an issue of how much money you have or what your opportunities are. It's an issue of our character. If we're not serving Christ with what we have now, we won't serve him later when our circumstances are different. Verse 11, Christ continues, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, God is not going to use you if you're not serving him with what you have now. If he can't trust you with what you have, why would he give you more? If you're not like this manager doing your job properly and serving your master in a trustworthy manner, he's not going to give you more responsibility. No, he's going to take that responsibility that you have and give it to somebody else. So serve God with your life and with your money. Be faithful with that and he will entrust you with more. If you want God to use you, serve him with whatever means you have. And if he sees you being faithful with little, he'll give you more. Now, the point there is not uh, money, you know, that he's going to give us more money and we'll become rich and we'll be able to live lavishly. That's not the point. Now, the point is we serve God with what opportunities we have. God gives us more opportunities to serve him. All of it ultimately is about living for Christ. We have this brief period of time on earth and what we do with it determines the extent to which we will be rewarded in eternity. I've mentioned this before, but the Bible teaches uh, there are degrees of punishment in hell, and there are degrees of blessing in heaven. Uh, heaven is not going to be the same for everyone. There are some in heaven that will be uh, apparently uh, of more, uh, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it other than heaven will be better for some than others, right? Jesus talks about laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. We'll get to that text in a moment. Uh, there's some way in which uh, what we do now in this life determines uh, what our condition will be in heaven. We can lay up treasures there. We can send money ahead. 
uh, and, and benefit ourselves for all of eternity. And so if we're, sa- if we're selfish, if we're wasteful with the time, the opportunities, the finances that God's given us, we will be judged for that waste. But if we're faithful with what God has entrusted to us, if we manage things the way God wants us to, we'll be rewarded in all of eternity. Verse 13, Jesus continues with this concluding statement. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, The word translated there, servant, is doulos in Greek. It simply means slave. Uh, No slave can serve two masters. If somebody owns you and you're their property, of course you can't work for him and somebody else. Now, you and I bristle at the mention of slavery, right? Because immediately we we think of uh, the racial slavery in America. That's not the, that is not at all the context of slavery in the New Testament. In the Roman Empire, slavery uh, had nothing to do with race. If you owed someone money and you couldn't repay them, uh, a judge would order you to become their slave for a period of time until that debt was paid off. If you robbed somebody as a punishment, you might have to be their slave, again, for a period of time to make restitution. In some cases, people would even enslave themselves to someone in order to work for a few years for some rich guy, and then uh, maybe in exchange they would get a piece of land or something that they could then profit and uh, have a better life with. And so slavery was not uh, the evil racist system that we think of. It was a contractual agreement for a limited period of time as a means of repaying a debt that you had incurred. But slavery meant you belonged to that person for that period of time. You were their slave. And you did whatever they told you to do. Now, obviously, if you're a slave to one guy, you can't also be a slave to another. That just can't happen. You can't belong to two masters. And that's why the reason I mention this is some of us think, well, I work two jobs. I have two employers. That's a different situation. Uh, being a slave means all day, every day, you're theirs. And so if, you're, if, you, if you are devoted to one person, if you belong to someone, you can't also belong to somebody else. And so he says there, if you're trying to serve God and money... Uh, you might as well stop trying. You cannot do both. It's like walking down a path where the the two kind of split and you're trying to go both directions. Uh, You can't do that. At some point, you have to pick which side you're going to go with. And there's a really great example of this principle in Luke chapter 18. This is where a rich young man comes to Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is basically what our text is saying. You let go of money, you follow Christ and you'll be laying up treasure for yourself on the other side. Verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Here's a young man who wants to follow Christ. He wants to be a part of God's kingdom, but he's unwilling to part ways with his money. And Jesus says, it's hard for rich people to enter my kingdom. Because in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to yield everything you are and everything you have to Christ. 
Uh, Jesus becomes your master, your Lord. And it's easier to give Jesus your life when you don't have much. But if you're wealthy, accepting Jesus means you no longer are living for yourself, but you're living for his purposes. That's a hard pill to swallow for rich people. Uh, back to our text, uh, trustworthiness is at the heart of this whole teaching. You notice if you have a Bible, just glance over this passage, see how many times the word faithful is found uh, over and over and over again. You have to be faithful in the little things. You've got to be faithful with what's been entrusted to you. God, and the, and the point is simply this, God should be able to trust us to do his will with what he gives us. If we're faithful and if we serve him with our finances, he'll reward us. If we use our wealth to advance his kingdom and spread his gospel, we are laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. We're securing a good future, just like this manager who made friends to ensure that his future was going to be good. And Jesus said that to his disciples, uh, verse 1, he mentions that again, that this is uh, directed to the disciples. But notice in verse 14, the Pharisees were listening. Uh, Jesus is talking to his apostles, his, his followers, and saying, uh, this is how you ought to think about money. You're not serving money, you're serving God. Uh, money is just a tool, and you ought to use it in service to Christ. The Pharisees are listening to this. They overheard the whole teaching, and they're making fun of Jesus. They're mocking him for this. Verse 14 says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. So they're saying to one another, this is ridiculous. Uh, why would we give away money? They're laughing at this idea. Jesus responds to them in verse 15. He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, we're going to save the rest of Jesus' words uh, that follow to the Pharisees for next week. But here's the gist of what he's saying in verse 15. Uh, you Pharisees try to impress people with your righteousness. Uh, you act real religious and pious in the eyes of people. Remember, the, the Pharisees were considered the best of the Jews, right? They were uh, the ones that fastidiously kept the Old Testament law. Uh, they went to the synagogue. They kept the Sabbath very uh, strictly. They did all of the outward things you're supposed to do to look spiritual but they were lovers of money. They were the servants of money, the slaves of money, not of God. And Jesus says, God sees right through your outward religious front. He knows your heart. And regardless of how highly people may view you, you're an abomination in the sight of God. Those are some harsh words. Now, what is all of this telling, the, uh, telling us? I think here's the main takeaway. Money is a great barometer of our commitment. It's a good test to see where our loyalties lie. If you're not serving God with your finances, according to Jesus, you're not serving God. How we spend our money shows where our priorities are. I've mentioned this before, but uh, you can tell a lot about somebody's values and their interests by where they spend money. Now, there's some things all of us need, right? We all need food. We all need a place to live. Uh, but beyond that, we all have certain interests that we're willing to spend money on that other people aren't. Okay, so if you're big into sports, right, you pay for that ESPN subscription that everybody else looks at and thinks, that's ridiculous, why would you pay that? Uh, if you're into fashion, right, you know the women that have 42 pairs of shoes, and you're like, what in the world? Uh, but that's the interest that they have. Some people are big into technology. Uh, they've got the iPads and the, the big screen TVs, whatever. Uh, all of us have our unique interests that we're willing to spend money on. 
uh, beyond what is, is necessary. And every single person has it. Some of us, it's just the numbers. We like to see that savings account get bigger and bigger. So we might not be the big spenders, uh, but we're building up and laying up our own treasures in our own way. And so maybe I haven't hit on your specific uh, issue, but if you think about it, you'll, you'll come up with it. All of us have an area of our life that we're willing to spend money in ways uh, that are beyond necessary. And it's nothing wrong with that. It's just saying that's what your interests are. That's what matters to you. That's where your priorities are. And so the question is, if somebody were to look at your uh, finances, the way that you spend your money, would they be able to tell that one of your interests is the kingdom of God? Would they be able to tell that in your list of priorities that following Jesus is a big deal to you? We each have our priorities. We each have things that we value. And our money follows our heart. Again, I can look at someone's spending and tell them the interests, the things that they care about, the things that are important to them. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In all of your saving and spending habits, the question is, where is God in that equation? Are you laying up money and possessions here instead of laying up treasures in heaven? Are you building bigger barns like that guy back in chapter 12 of Luke? Uh, more and more and more in savings and nothing invested in eternal things. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. It's a good test of our commitment to Christ. We say he's our Lord, but does the way that we use our money prove that to be true? And so in summary, looking at our text here, uh, the lesson is simple. Invest your money in kingdom purposes. Give your money to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Use whatever uh, financial means God has blessed you with to reach people with the gospel. And you should do that for two reasons. Number one, for you. Jesus says, have foresight like this clever manager. Think about your future. Make wise decisions here, and in so doing, you'll be laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. So don't just think about how you can live it up on earth in this short, brief life. Think about your eternity. Ascend it ahead so that you can be well set up financially there. Then the second reason that he gives us to use our finances for God's purposes is this is how we prove to be true servants of God, by being faithful with our finances, by serving God with everything we have, understanding that we are just managers. We're not owners. We're stewards of the things God has entrusted to us. Everything that we have is from him, and it's our job to use it in ways that will please our master. One final text, 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. May God help us to adopt this attitude uh, towards whatever finances we have, whether much or little, May we be faithful to serve God with it. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.